From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. It has come to my attention that everyone is quitting. And by everyone, I mean a handful of my coworkers. But these are the kind of coworkers who make a job feel worthwhile, who make miserable days okay, who make you think, I do not know what I would do without you. One of the people who's leaving is my friend and colleague, Ruth Spencer. It was one of those things where I just started to talk about the fact that I wanted to blow up my life. And then eventually it I kind of did. For Ruth, it was a slow buildup of small frustrations. Not even frustrations with her job, necessarily, but with the life she'd built around her job. Like, I started saying, I hate New York. I fucking hate my apartment. I hate the color of my walls. I hate dating here. I hate, like, I started being, you know, frustrated and talking about my frustration and, you know, feeling very much like I wanted to change something Like, the longer I was here, the closer I looked at my life, and then I got to a point where everything was bugging me. Like, I find when I stay home from work if I'm sick and I spend a lot of time in my living room, I start to notice that it's dusty and that, you know, like, maybe, like, underneath the chair, it's kind of dirty, and things start to bother me. I felt like that about my whole life. So Ruth decided to make a change. She decided to get married. I remember the feeling after I got married, which was... Whoa, I'm married now. I just changed my life. Like, I wasn't married, now I'm married. I don't even know what that means, but I know it means a whole lot of shit. Yeah. And, like, I remember I felt truly adult. Yeah. Like, I felt like I was dissatisfied. Now I've done something that makes me happier, and, like, I've set in motion a number of changes, and I'm not going back to how itchy I used to feel. It's different Mm -hmm. now. There was just one problem, which was this. The man she'd married lived in another country. He's British. He's so British that he's, in fact, named Archie. So as soon as Ruth and Archie had gone to City Hall, the clock was ticking on another big decision. Where were they going to live? Who was going to move? They were worrying about visas and Brexit and the jobs they both loved when Ruth got an offer in London. How did it feel to be sort of making a decision about your job in the context of a relationship or in relation to a relationship? I've never made a decision like that before. All my job decisions, professional decisions, have been about what's the best job for me to do and how can I get ahead and how can I get a bigger job, one that's more satisfying, that's at a more interesting place with more intelligent people, you know. I always thought that making a decision about a relationship wouldn't wouldn't work in my favor, like that that was being a bad feminist or something, <laughs> that, you know, I should work work and be ambitious and get ahead and everything else will figure itself out. And in my in my situation, that's not the case. Ruth finally decided this was it. I quit my job. How did it feel to do it? Uh, the actual doing of it felt bad. Yeah. I knew I had to uh, have that conversation on the day that I had it. I knew there was no way around it just because of timeline and things. And um, I walked by my boss, our boss, our boss. Door twice. Oh god! <laughs> I, I walked. I left my office, which is right next to hers, 
And I walked into the hallway and I thought, okay, I'm going in. And I just walked right by and I turned around and I went back in my office and I was like, hey, I'm going in. And I walked right by and I turned around and I went back in my office and I was like, that's it. You just got to go. Do it, Ruth. There's no moment that's going to feel better than this moment. And so I walked in and she looked up at me and I said, hi. And I turned around and I closed the door and I just saw her Her looking at me like, what's wrong? And I said, I have to talk to you (laughs) like that. Like I, I was too nervous to even say it out loud, really. You know, I had sort of rehearsed what I was going to say, but then all, you know, sitting down and looking at the person was a very different sort of experience than just talking to myself in my head about what I was going to say. Well, what was that? What was the good version that you had rehearsed in your head? How did that one sound? <laughs> I love my job, but I got a job offer in London, and this decision is is not about, you know, work itself. It's about a life change that I feel I have to make. And I love working with her so much, but this is something I really have to do. But the speech didn't go quite the way she'd planned. And it all just came out like a like a word vomit. And I remember, I don't even know how, how far of the way through this little spiel I got. <laughs> but at one point, I remember Stella just put her head in her hands and said, oh, God. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Uh, but, you know, she was totally supportive. But... Yeah, my heart was like, boom, 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 boom. Ruth was sitting there on the brink of a whole new life. She'd done it. She'd blown everything up. This was her chance to start over. Listening to her describe how it felt, I was a little bit vicariously terrified. But I was also a little bit jealous. Because I don't really know how it feels to be sitting in Ruth's place. I haven't done much quitting. I've worked at the same place for more than six years now, almost my whole career. The summer I started at The Cut, I remember editing stories about Anthony Weiner's sexting and the Robin Thicke Blurred Lines video. 2013 feels like a long time ago. And lately, six years has been feeling like a long time to stay put. So I started to wonder, am I stuck? Is there something wrong with me? What am I missing? I mean, I I do feel like moves in particular set in motion little mini ripples of existential questioning for the people around you. Like, friends of mine have moved and done things before, and I feel like we've all sort of experienced the same question. Like, should I move? Why am I doing what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Fortunately, I've got some friends who have way more experience quitting than I do. So this week, I made them come into the studio and tell me more about the choices they've made. How did they know when to quit? How did they feel afterward? Did they have a plan? I've been, like, pretty doggedly sure since I started out in magazines, like, what it was I wanted to do, which, which is, is to be a feature writer. like Which I, means for people who don't work in oh, magazines. Oh, that I write, like, longer articles about things. That's Allison P. Davis, who has now fulfilled her dream of writing longer articles about things. But she says she's only gotten there thanks to the power of quitting. Back when she was 25, she was ambitious and green, and she'd just gotten her first real job at a fashion magazine. I started out as an editorial assistant in the features department. I was supposed to book travel. I was supposed to book travel cheaply. And at one point, I think I accidentally booked somebody a $1,200 plane ticket to Washington, D.C. from New York. Like, I wasn't good at it. I'm not a good assistant. I can barely manage my own life. When Allison had gotten that assistant job, she thought she was set. Working at a magazine was the dream. But pretty quickly, she realized there was a big difference between having the right institution on your business card and doing the kind of work you actually want to do. I really wanted to make that job work, but I wanted to, like, 
I wanted to write and at magazines you don't really get to as a junior like assistant. And I just remember I would go to different editors and be like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I want to write features. Like, how do I get the cover story? So I was going around asking for criticism. And um, masochist. I yeah. know, it was so weird. And this one editor who I wasn't very close to sort of was like, she very kindly was like, I will take you to, to coffee. And we went down to the lobby at Hearst and, and had what were coffee. you expecting? I was expecting her to say, like, here's like a short thing that I will let you try writing or here are three things that you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. If you do these three things, you will get ahead. And she was like, listen, I think you should quit. What? And I was like, oh, uh? and I was like, well, what did I do wrong? And she was like, you just you're never going to get to do what you want to do here. You need to just quit and move on. And I was resistant because I was like, no, 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 this is the job I was given. I am meant to be at this place. I want to be here for many years. I'm not leaving. Like, I can make it work. And then I remember after I sort of, like, doubled down on trying to get better, she emailed me and was like, I thought I, t- I, thought I told her you should quit. Oh, my God. Like, she followed. She, really she like, was followed just like, no, 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 no. Literally. Like, quit now. Yeah, get the fuck out. <laughs> it was harsh, but eventually Allison came around. She was stuck in a job where she wasn't doing the work she wanted to do. And there wasn't any sign things were going to change. She cold emailed up a storm, met Stella Bugby at the cut, and finally gave notice at that job where she thought she'd stay forever. She started here a little before I did, and she carved out a beat for herself writing fast, funny blog posts about stuff like dating and pop culture. You could hear her voice in all of them. She was becoming someone people followed and recognized, but she still wasn't writing the big stories she wanted to write. If you remember that advice she'd gotten over coffee, just quit. So she did. She left the cut. I think even when I was quitting, I sort of knew, like, I'll be back. <laughs> she got a new job at a media startup where she could define her own role. She racked up some longer stories. And after a year, she felt pretty confident that she knew both what she wanted to do and where she wanted to be. So, as predicted, Allison came back to the cut. I love to fake leave because I love... <laughs> what do you mean by fake leave? <laughs> you know, like, leave? I love that moment at a party where you're like, oh, God, I'm just so tired. I have to go home earlier than people expect you to go home. So they're like, no, stay. Like, we love having... Just don't go. We're having so much fun. I, lo- I live for that moment. <laughs> so you've just created that moment <laughs> elsewhere in your life. Exactly. Wherever you can. What was it like to return to a place that you had left? It was weird because I wanted to make sure that I had put enough distance between how people saw me when I left versus like who I was coming back as. It's like leaving high, like leaving some school for the summer and then coming back in fall. Like you really want people to see the you that you developed over the summer. You know, <laughs> like you got some new glasses, you got rid of your braces, you grew boobs. Like you want people to appreciate that you. You now have the boobs of feature writing ability, <laughs> right. and I wanted to show them off. And this time, that's what she got to do. In Cut Job Take Two, Allison's been writing those cover stories and long profiles of people like Lena Dunham and Cardi B. It took some time, but she's where she wanted to be back when she was first starting out. Do you think you could have gotten where you were going if you had stayed in your first job? No way. (laughs) I think I would still be an assistant. No, but like, really? No, just because I think if I had stayed there any longer, I would have... um, not been able to be confident in my ability to do more than what I was being told I could do. So it was the right time to to bounce. Someone once told me the easiest way to get a promotion is to leave and come back. So that's what I did. Like, that's why I quit the first time, but that's why I came back. And it worked. 
I am very clear-eyed about the steps you take to, like, get to the end game. I've known Allison for a long time now, but I don't think I've ever heard her lay it out so clearly before. Her career is like an object lesson in knowing when to leave and when to fake leave or come back. It's all about keeping an eye on the big picture. If you know where you want to go, you have to keep checking in to make sure you're getting there. But what if you don't have it all mapped out? What if you aren't so sure where you're headed? You might land jobs, quit them, only to find yourself thinking, what's going on with my career? Presumably this is how Cher felt when she posted this exact question to Twitter at 12.03 p.m. on August 18th, 2012. Yeah, oh my gosh. So I received word of this tweet because I wasn't on Twitter. This is my friend Charles. I'm a fan of Cher's. I always have been. But You have a Believe hat. I have a Believe hat. I went to see Cher in concert this year. She is absolutely everything you'd expect. But she tweets out an iconic sentence. What's going on with my career? No punctuation. My career is spelled as one word. My career. My career. My career. It seems so off the cuff, so slapdash. She was just riding the subway, and I know she doesn't ride the subway, but Mm-mm. she's just in transit somewhere, and she thinks, what's going on with my career? What is going on with my career at this moment? And when you think about Cher, I mean, she's not only iconic six decades of a career, she still feels the same sense of pause when considering all of the movements she's made in her professional life that have gotten her to this point. It is difficult to imagine Cher feeling lost. She's Cher. And yet, as Charles pointed out to me, Cher's career has been kind of all over the place. There's an Oscar for Best Actress, but also infomercials and workout videos, Vegas residencies, and a seven-day marriage to Greg Allman thrown in the mix. Charles thinks about Cher's tweet a lot, and he remembers his own first taste of that how-did-I-get-here feeling. I grew up in the suburban South, and at one point, before I went away to college, a fabulous new ice cream store opened up down the road in a strip mall, (laughs) and I walked in and just applied for a job, and it was the first time I was ever paid to do anything. And I worked there for three whole weeks, because at a certain point— Three weeks is so few weeks! Really? (laughs) I ultimately found the work quite humiliating. What was the work? You know, I wanted to scoop ice cream in a kind of, I don't know, a teen storybook way. I wanted to be scooping ice cream all summer. But then at this particular place, they made you sing for your tips. What did you have to sing? You made up songs, but they had a host of sort of, they'd give you a jingle, like a happy birthday jingle or some recognizable jingle, but it would all be, you know, ice cream inflected. It's all summer fun at the ice cream shop until a bunch of your high school classmates walk in. And this is what happened to Charles. His friends looked at him. He looked at them. He realized he was supposed to sing. What I do remember is just standing on the other side of the sort of bins of ice cream and and saying, this is too much for me to handle. Socially, I don't really know why I am here. I don't know what I'm doing anymore, and I need to get out. And I think that that actually is a feeling that I have become very familiar with, which is, you know, you're in the middle of a job, and all of a sudden you don't know what you're doing anymore. It is an experience with which Charles has become familiar, because Charles, like Cher, has had many jobs. 
I went to work for the friend of one of our professors, for a casting director, a group of attorneys, because I told myself that I was going to go to law school. I went to work for a talent agency. I was an assistant to a theater agent who absolutely hated my guts. Some seasonal work at a bookstore. And left to go work at a news organization. Along the way, I've also been a tutor, event promoter, PR to a jazz musician. I've had, I believe, 13 jobs. By my last count, 13 different jobs. Charles has quit more jobs than anyone I know. Of course, when you quit a lot, you have to start over a lot, which can be hard to explain. Charles is in business school now, though, where they have a special word for quitting. Pivoting (laughs) is what we talk about. You didn't quit your last career. You're pivoting. (laughs) You're pivoting to a new career. Uh And that is exciting and that is uh, worthy of admiration. It sounds like you like quitting. Or you find it energizing? I do find it energizing. I find changing directions absolutely energizing. This is not a feeling I can relate to. What I want is to get a job, settle in, and make myself at home. And probably that's because I've come to feel, for better or worse, like my work defines my life. But Charles is another story. For as long as I have known him, over 14 years, he has been radiantly and irreducibly Charles. Like Cher, he transcends any one job. He transcends any list of jobs. He's always had the confidence and force of personality to make people see him as himself rather than a resume. And there's something liberating in that. It means that quitting a job isn't an existential crisis. I think that a career, in some ways, is a fiction we tell ourselves about work. Mm -hmm. That we have jobs that mean something to the next job, that there's a linear relationship, that they build on one another, and that ultimately it says something about who you are at mm-hmm. the end of your life, your share tweeting mm. at age you know, 65, wondering what's going on with my career. And I think maybe what Cher is feeling and what I am feeling, and certainly many of my cohort are feeling, is that a job really is never a full, true articulation of who we are. So constantly applying to new positions and gaining new employment always comes with this risk that it is uh, insufficient. It's an insufficient expression of our, you know, inner selves. Would you say you relate to Cher ultimately? (laughs) I ultimately relate to Cher entirely. I mean, I would say that I am always becoming. I am always unraveling what my career is. And I don't know necessarily where it's going. But I do have a lot of faith that it will happen. You believe. I believe in life after a job. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up, Esther Perel tells me what's going on with my career. Something about this stability is important to you. Don't deny it. No, I I couldn't and wouldn't. That's after the break. Welcome back. On today's show, I've been talking to friends about quitting jobs. Bruce Spencer, the Cuts deputy editor, is packing up for London. And meanwhile, a couple of the producers who have worked on this show since the very beginning are setting off to tackle new projects in new places. It's been freaking me out a little. So I decided to bring my angst to an expert. 
Esther Perel is a therapist best known for counseling couples on their relationships, talking them through monogamy, infidelity, intimacy, family, and all the other challenges of long-term partnership. But lately, she's become interested in a different part of our daily lives, work. Home and work have become the two places where people have gone with all the needs that used to belong to community and religion. And so they need to be explored actually in parallel. And they are undergoing parallel revolutions. Esther's become so interested in work that she's made it the subject of her new podcast. It's called How's Work. And she seemed like the perfect person to turn to here. Well, I would love to get your thoughts on something I'm dealing with in particular right now, which is that I've been working at New York Magazine at The Cut um, for over six years now. It's been feeling recently like everything around me is changing a lot. Like a lot of my coworkers are leaving <laughs> for reasons that I totally understand, but also that make me really sad to like see these people who I have valued working with leaving. And I guess I feel unsure how to handle it, how to treat them, how to how to be supportive of what's going on with them while also, you know, making it clear that I'm really going to miss them and also wondering if I've been stuck in the same place for too long now. This is a beautiful question. These are people who are going. And so first question you probably have is, is there something that they're seeing that I'm not seeing? Yeah. Are they more courageous than me? You know, are they more adventurous than me? I, I remember a moment after a few years of being in the, in the States when many, many of my friends mm -hmm. were leaving and going back to their countries of origin. And I felt like I was the last of the Mohicans, <laughs> you know, like everybody seems to know where they're going. Everybody has a clear sense of where they belong. And here I am. And what about me? I think that other people's moves and decisions inevitably, especially if they're people we are connected to, bring us to question ourselves. That is normal. That is not something to avoid. That is part of part of the deal. That's a, the nature of the beast. And it may make me begin to think, maybe this is not the place for me either. And the question is, can that be brought up to them and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking as I'm watching you do this. How do you know that it's time to go? It scares me to think that some relationships might not survive that rupture, you know, that like there are some people who you can be really close with when you're dealing with the same problems in the office every day. You're like talking about the same stuff and the same people and you have the same context. And then as soon as you're removed from that context, what if that intimacy evaporates? Like what if you no longer feel like you have anything in common or like it, it no longer feels like your lives overlap? That is absolutely true. That is the case. I mean, I hear people all the time telling me that they left and there was very little contact with some people that they were very close to and it, they realized that it was circumstantial. It's painful for many people to the sense that I thought we were really close, but in fact, the context created a closeness for us. And if we don't go out and make this deliberately an important relationship, there will not be one. So the weight moves over you. You can't rely on the context. You now have to be the initiator of the connection. At the same time, I find myself um, with like almost a morbid curiosity about why people are leaving. Like I want to find out what what's wrong with their no, job as it is now. No, you don't. That's not your real question. I actually think that your real question is to wonder why is it that you have stayed six years in the same place 
Yeah. And you want to know what is it that they're thinking about that you have not. I don't think your curiosity is actually really about them. I think your, your curiosity is through them you want to understand you. You're also living in a culture that is putting a lot of pressure on people to move and that there's something wrong if you don't move every two or three years. That, that, that's become a sign of ambition. It's the opposite of what we used to think, you know, was uh, commitment and loyalty, you know, where we're very much not about moving all the time. And so you you are not in the current of fast moves. And so there's a part of you that says, you know, what's up with me? You know, generally, whenever people are caught by social pressure, basically a norm that then makes them feel that they are not following suit, they're not acting according to the, 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 the dominant script, then they start to question themselves and then they start to privatize the problem. There's something with me. What's with me that I am not acting like the world says I should be acting? Rather than the world is having a, a moment when it says this is what matters now. The world changes all the time. For whatever reason, something about this stability is important to you. Don't deny it. No, I, I couldn't and wouldn't. She's got my number here. It's not just about work. Whether it's school or family or friends, I want to feel like I'm part of a cozy little ecosystem. And when something disrupts that, I take it hard. It takes me a while to get comfortable. So once I do, I at least want a chance to enjoy it. You're, 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 you're locating it at work, but in fact, what you're asking me is about abandonment issues, rejection issues, connecting issues. Those are the, the core you know, elements of relationships, and they could happen anywhere. And uh, is it that I care more about you than you care about me if you can leave so easily? Is it hard for you to leave me as it is hard for me to see you go? Mm. I want to know that you too will miss me. I want to know that I was important to you the way that I am feeling how important you have been to me. If I put these sentences like that, you don't know if I'm talking about a lover or a co-worker. Well, it comes back to what you were saying before about how intense people's relationships are to their jobs now, like how much it feels like it is part of your identity in an arena where so much of your life is playing out. You know, I, I feel like I know very few people who are able to treat their jobs as just a way to make money or just something that they clock in and out of. Like, it seems like their identities are very enmeshed in what they do for a living. Because we have become more secularized we have become more individualistic. We have loosened our ties to the traditional institutions, geographies, families, and work and home have become the two hubs where we go to experience connection, community, and belonging and meaning. What used to be much more of a part of our larger structures and our religious life. And that's what has fundamentally changed and so both, we come with a set of expectations to love and to work that are quite unprecedented. The idea that work could bring about an intensity of emotions that parallels what we experience in our other important relationships is a surprise for many people. But in fact, um, it is very real. The thing is, no matter how much emotional intensity you focused on your job, at the end of the day, it's a job, which means that, inevitably, all the people around you are wrapped up in their own goals and ambitions, their own financial realities, their own personal lives. And in all likelihood, someday, those things are going to lead them out the door. But as Charles said, 
there's life after a job. And as Ruth packs up her office, she's been imagining what comes next. I have this vision. The backyard at the house in London has this garden that has been uh, pretty neglected for many, many, many years. And when I think about London, it's the thing that I think about. I have no idea how to garden. I, like, kill everything I've ever owned. But I feel that I'm going to create a beautiful garden. And I think about that more than I think about the office or what my job's going to be or, like, anything. I really think about this garden. And I'm surprised that I'm doing that, but it is what I'm doing. And I think that is showing me how much I really am craving a life that's about more than going to work all the time. Or that my priorities are about more than just going to work all the time. It's like learning how to... I don't know, grow a radish or whatever one grows in England. (laughs) Why do you struggle to imagine vegetables (laughs) is really good? (laughs) Quitting is a chance to imagine a new life. Whether or not it actually materializes is another story. On next week's show, we're going to be hearing about what comes after quitting. The anxiety and excitement of new jobs. So look forward to that, and we'll see you next Tuesday. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie and Kate Parkinson Morgan. Until very recently, it was also produced by Olivia Natt. Here's some advice that Olivia's dad gave her, and she passed along to us. It's about how not to freak out when faced with big changes. Imagine yourself in a boat, and you're out on the ocean, and it's like a big, wide, scary ocean, but that boat is never going to sink It's never going to run out of water. It's never going to run out of food. Like, you will always be safe in that boat. And you have, like, a little sail. And you can change the direction that you are sailing and floating. But no matter what, the boat's not going to sink. And, like, other than that, you can fuck it up. And you can, like, figure it out. And you can try a bunch of different things out. And, like, I think of, like, a little stupid, like, drawing of a sailboat, like a little dinghy with, like, a little triangle sail. And, like, I'll be okay. We miss you, Olivia. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Lynn Levy and Stella Bugby. Mixing by Emma Munger and Haley Shaw. Our music is by Emma Munger, Haley Shaw, and Peter Leonard. Our theme song is Play It Right by Sylvan Esso. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.